Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 570. This is part three in our series, our October series entitled Eternity, Made to Live Forever. Pastor Ken preached part two last week, and thank you, Pastor Ken. He's um, in another part of the building doing some ministry, and he um, preached a great message. It was a wonderful, wonderful time of ministry last Sunday. Let's just thank God for Pastor Ken and Pastor Vicki. I listened to the message this week and was so edified and blessed, encouraged by it. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in John chapter 14. Father, we love you. We come before you and we ask through the power of your spirit, you would just strengthen, you would empower your servant, that you would speak God through your servant today. I pray through the power of your spirit, you would just prepare our hearts, ready our hearts to to hear and to receive your, your word, your eternal truth that we would be encouraged, built up, and strengthened in our faith. I pray that uh, maybe there's some here today. They've walked in here. They're empty. They're searching. I pray through the power of your spirit, through the preaching of your word, that you would draw those individuals to faith, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified, I pray, as your word is proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some have called John chapters 14, John chapter 15 and 16, the holy of holies of the New Testament of Jesus' life. What he teaches in these three chapters are not found in any of the other three Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Only in in John chapters 14, 15, and 16 will you find these teachings. And in chapter 17, we, we find recorded a prayer Jesus prays not found anywhere else in the Scriptures. For me, I find this as an extra special portion of Scripture. A sacred text. In these six verses, Jesus introduced some new teachings to his disciples. Before we go any further today, I want to share with you one way you can personally study the Bible is to use the five W's and the one H. On the back side of your outline, if you received an outline, you can fill in these blanks. And I trust and pray it will help you. I know it's a tremendous help to me, something very practical as we look at today's text. Ask the following questions. Who? Who? 
Who wrote it? Who is it written to? The next question, when? When was this said? When will it happen? The third question, what? What is being said here? What are the major ideas? Ask those questions. Number four, where? Where was this said? Where is this going to happen? Five, why was this written? And six, how? How is it going to happen? How does this apply to me? What is the application to my life? What does it mean to me? Ask questions when you open up the word of God. When you read through the sacred text, ask these questions. There's answers. God will speak through the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. In the opening verse of today's text, Jesus gives a command to calm the troubled hearts of his disciples. He commands them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We must ask the question, why are they troubled? Why are they troubled? The disciples had reason to be troubled. They just finished the Passover meal with Jesus. And during this meal, Jesus told his disciples one of them was a traitor. Now that would be very troubling. One was going to deny him, not just once, not just twice, but three times. That would be very troubling. And Jesus told them that he was leaving them after 33 years of being together. He or after three and a half years of being together, he was going to leave them. He's going to die. And so in a very short time, the world of the 11 disciples was going to collapse into unbelievable chaos. And so Jesus gives a comforting command. It's a command that he gives. Let not your heart be troubled. It's in the imperative. And so it's a command implying that they should stop being troubled. Set your heart at ease would be a a good translation. Jesus gives his disciples and us a, a wonderful promise. He promised that we could have an untroubled heart even in a troubled life. How many know something about a troubled life? We live in a troubled world. But Jesus, in our text, provides us an incredible promise that despite of, of, of having a troubled life, living in a troubled world, that we can have an untroubled heart. That's a wonderful promise. That's a comforting promise. We must ask the question, how is this possible? Especially when we are surrounded by a country gone mad. I think we all would be in agreement here. This morning we live in a country that's gone mad, a world that's gone mad. But when I think about our country, we just live in an angry, a chaotic world, possible nuclear war, terrorism, mass murder. Hatred, serious health issues, sickness, broken marriages, financial stress, death of loved ones, unsaved family members, and the list goes on and on and on. How in the world can you have an untroubled heart even in a troubled life? How is that possible? Jesus tells us how in verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word believe is a life-altering word. It means to have confidence in. And when we believe, 
In God, when we believe in Jesus Christ, there's a confidence in God, in his promises. There's a confidence in Christ, in his promises. Literally, the world means to exercise faith in someone. And we know that someone is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Here in our passage, in today's scripture text, faith has two elements. Number one, there is, a, there is sustaining faith. Sustaining faith. You believe in God, Jesus said. You believe in God. Sustaining faith. The all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God. I love Psalms 46, verses 1 through 5. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and are troubled, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. Isn't that beautiful? You need wisdom in a situation? God is all-knowing. Do you need wisdom in a situation today? God is all-knowing. You need strength to keep going? Do you feel too weak to keep going? Are you running on empty? God is all-powerful. You need someone to walk with? Are you feeling alone? God is ever-present. Sustaining faith believes God exists and he is in complete control of all things and will make all things beautiful in his time. And Pastor Ken preached on this last Sunday so powerfully and beautifully. This is the kind of faith that will bring you through the valleys. And there are valleys in this troubled world, in this troubled life. But we, in the midst of going through the valley, can experience an untroubled heart. Jesus says we can. And I have confidence in him. I have confidence in his word. I have confidence in his promises. Here in our text, faith has two elements. There is sustaining faith, and number two, there is saving faith. Jesus said, believe also in me. It isn't enough just to believe that there is a God. After all, Satan also believes there is a God. To be saved, a person must believe the gospel message and embrace the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. How could the author of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, write a song with such inner calm? He wrote the following words as he sailed to the spot where his four daughters drowned in a tragic shipwreck. When peace like a river tendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Inner peace, inner peace, a troubled life, but an untroubled heart. It is well with my soul. Mr. Spafford believed the gospel message and embraced by faith the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had an untroubled heart even in the midst of a troubled life. We're no strangers, are we, church, in regards to a troubled life, a troubled world. But in the midst, we can have an untroubled heart. 
Instead of giving into a troubled heart, Jesus told his disciples to firmly put their trust in God and in Jesus himself. Jesus promised by doing so would bring comfort and peace to their troubled hearts. This requires trust. And trust requires faith in the promises of God. In Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh and lived and dwelt among us. Church, be encouraged. Even though you live in a troubled world, you can have an untroubled heart by trusting the promises of God. When your heart is troubled, you can't enjoy anything. You can't enjoy your family. You can't enjoy a good meal. And boy, we like to eat, don't we? You can't enjoy your friends. You can't enjoy your job. It's even hard to enjoy your Savior when you have a troubled heart. And Jesus commands his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. He tells them how by giving them another command. You believe in God, believe also in me. He follows it up by drawing their attention to his father's house in verses 2 and 3. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus tells his disciples where he is going. Where is he going, church? My father's house. I just love the, the sound of that. My father's house. Why is he going to his father's house? He's leaving them after three and a half years. Why is he going to his father's house? Well, he tells them why in our text to prepare a place for you. Wow. And he promises them, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Father's house is a place called heaven. How many are looking forward to going to heaven? Jesus spoke with complete confidence about heaven, spoken here in today's text as his Father's house. He told his disciples that there was room enough for all. In my Father's house are many mansions, literally translated dwelling places. And so Jesus could see what the disciples um, never could. Millions upon millions, even billions from every tribe, language and nation in his father's house. He might have smiled when he said, many mansions. I got a place for you, Dan. I got a, I got a place. I got a place for you, Pat. I got a place for you, Robert. I got a place for you, sister. Amen. Sue, I got a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled. The Henrys, I got a place for you. Great to see you. Let's give the Henrys a hand. Great to see the Henrys. He's got a place for you. He's got a place for me. I hope that's a comforting truth. There's a better tomorrow. A better tomorrow that awaits us. Isn't that glorious, church? There's a place, a place for you. He assured them, he assured their troubled hearts, I go to prepare a place for you. You see, Jesus is simply saying that through his death, 
through his resurrection and ascension into heaven, the way to those dwelling places will be prepared completely for them and for us. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank God for what happened on the third day. He rose victorious. He broke the power of sin and death. Can someone say amen? Thank God for 40 days after the resurrection. He ascended into heaven, and right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Word of God tells us he's forever making intercession for us. We're here. Jesus is in his Father's house in heaven at his right hand making intercession for you and for me right now. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for me. Right now, he's praying for your wayward son and daughter who's fallen out of the faith. He's praying. He's forever making intercession. He's praying for that unsaved spouse, that unsaved parent. He's praying. He's praying. He's forever making intercession. Isn't that glorious, church? No matter how bad things get here, Jesus has promised you and me a glorious eternity. And right now, he knows what you're going through. He knows the the struggles of your life, the struggles in your faith. He knows how you're troubled in life. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. There's a promise in God's word. There's a grace available that's greater than what you're going through, bigger than your trouble. Faith, faith, trust, calling on the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The reality of our future heavenly home can help protect us from a troubled heart. When we plan a family vacation, how many enjoy family vacations? We just had a family vacation last week. We, we went camping, and we just had a, a wonderful time camping. And, but I know Tina and I, when we are planning a, 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 a family vacation, we just don't get in the car and drive. Come on, kids. We're going away. Get in the car. Woo! We, we don't plan vacations that way. And Tina and I will, will visit AAA, we'll talk to friends who have gone where we're going to get some ideas, we'll examine our maps, browse the internet so we can see what attractions we want to check out. When we get there, we'll pack our bags, we'll make sure we have uh, enough money, and we'll talk about um, the trip, all about the trip with our kids. And everyone's excited, and every day we just keep talking. As the trip gets closer and closer and closer, we just, all the excitement is building, we just can't wait to get there and to have all the experience together as a family. Just can't wait. Can't wait to go. And church, how much more should we prepare for eternity? For our heavenly home that will be wonderfully beyond words. Will not compare to any earthly vacation we've ever prepared for. As fun as they are. What exactly... Heaven will be like it's hard for us to even fathom. 
In Revelation chapter 21, we know things that won't be in heaven. No more tears. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more loneliness. No more sin. No more temptation. No more devil. How about this one? No more taxes. No more financial stress. No more leaky roofs, Jim. No more dishes. No more laundry. No more addiction. No more hatred. No more broken relationships. No more wars or rumors of wars. No more politics. No more cell phones. Thank you, Jesus. No more Twitter. No more social media. No more darkness. No sun. Heaven is filled with perpetual light, radiating from the glory of God's holy presence. There's no words to describe heaven. The apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He, he writes to the church in Corinth in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction which is but for a moment our troubled life in this troubled world but for our our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory in heaven Heaven is the place where God dwells and where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for you. In the Bible, heaven is described as a kingdom. In 2 Peter 1.11, because of its structure and order. God is a God of structure. God is a God of order. It's described as a country in Hebrews eleven sixteen, emphasizing its vastness. Just the vastness when you travel and through the country, the hills, the hillside, and they go on and on and on. The vastness, a city because of the large number of its inhabitants. It's described as a paradise because of its beauty and splendor. But my favorite description of heaven is found in our text today. John 14, 2, my father's house. My father's house. When my parents still lived in Massachusetts, it was always uh, uh, wonderful to go home and, and to visit them. Uh, there I was welcome. I was accepted. I was cared for. I was provided for. I, I was loved. Heaven is like that, church. Going home to heaven will not be like going into an unfamiliar place. I remember going home and I was just so comfortable visiting my, my, my home. 
When my parents lived in Massachusetts, and in no time the shoes are off, and I'm sitting with my feet up, really comfortable, because I was home. I was home. It was a place where I was loved and accepted, and heaven is like that. Going home to heaven will not be like going into an unfamiliar place. We will be going home. It is our Father's house. We are not guests, we are residents. For every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, every born-again saint, hear this this morning. It's home. It's home. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. Where God is, is our home. Not some place where it's uncomfortable. There is no sense of need. No wanting anything. And no negative emotion. My father is there. My savior is there. My home is there. My name is there. It's written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been born again. Your name is there in heaven. Wow. Oh, let's go. Let's go. My life is there. My affection is there. My heart is there. Home is where your heart is. Where is your heart? Because where your heart is, there is your home. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, John talks about the eternal city of God. In Revelation 21, 27, John characterizes it as a holy city. Eternity is going to be unlike anything we have ever seen or experienced. Uh, you know, I was thinking in preparation and, and just looking, going online and just looking at the majestic mountains of Colorado. The Hakes were just there. And I saw just the, the beauty, the splendor, the majesty of these mountains of pictures that they took. The incredible Grand Canyon and the breathtaking, beautiful um, Lake Tahoe are just teasers. Just teasers. The beauty and splendor of heaven is beyond words. But the most amazing and important thing to know is God is there with his people. The Bible walks us through a record of the dwelling places of God. First, God walked with man in the Garden of Eden. But man sinned and God had to remove Adam and Eve from his presence because God cannot be in the presence of sin. He's a holy God. Then he dwelt with Israel in the tabernacle in the wilderness and later in the temple. When Israel sinned, God had to depart from those dwelling places. Later on, Jesus came to earth and tabernacled, lived among us. And John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and, and lived, dwelt among us. Miraculously, church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, today the physical bodies of all born-again believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's dwelling place. God lives in us. It's a grace miracle that God lives in me. He lives in you. As we consider the dwelling places of God throughout human history, this one thing is certain. God longs to be with us and us with him. 
Incredible. That's what heaven is all about. Eternity. Jesus promises his troubled disciples, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where is Jesus? He's in his Father's house, heaven. And he promises them that he will come for them, that where he is, they will be also. You see, one day they will dwell in God's presence. They will see him. They will behold him face to face and enjoy his presence forever. And that same promise extends to us today. One day Jesus will come with his arms wide open to receive us that where he is, we may be also. Church, friends, a better tomorrow is coming. In the Old Testament, there are over 1,800 references to the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. One out of every 32 voices, verses speak about the second coming of Jesus Christ. 23 of the 27 New Testament book, books give prominence to the second coming of Jesus Christ. For every prophecy in Scripture concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight prophecies about Christ's second coming. I think his second coming is important. The hope of the second coming of Christ provides relief for our troubled hearts, church. How will Jesus come? Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. In Matthew 24, 29 through 20, 31, Jesus is teaching on his second coming. He says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Their stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power in great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Wow. Wow. What a day. Paul writes about Christ's second coming in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He writes in verses 14 through 18, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. In our main scripture text, Jesus was comforting his disciples. He was assuring them about his second coming. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus' comforting words involve both a place and a person. The place is the Father's house, heaven. How many are looking forward to being in the Father's house, heaven? Oh, what a personal God, the Father's house. What a personal God we serve. But being there comes from knowing a person. Being in the Father's house comes from knowing a person. Christ 
himself. And today, if you are uncertain of your eternal destiny, I encourage you, trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the right person to trust your life with. He is the right person who will take you to the right place. His Father's house, heaven. That's the right place for you and for me. But we have to trust in the right person. The person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in yourself. Not in this preacher. But in Jesus Christ. In him alone. And Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 4. And where I go you know. And the way you know. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one will see the Father's house except through me, Jesus said. No one will be where I am except through me, Jesus told his disciples. And Jesus made it clear that he was going to the Father and that he was the only way to the Father. And this is so critically, critically important. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a loving place, a joyful place, a peaceful place. It's one big family, the family of God. I don't know if they have Duke Donuts there. Fall Family Sunday. I don't know. But all I know, heaven is a real place. It's one big family. It's the family of God. And sadly, though, not everyone is going to heaven. Only those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And yet we see in the word, God desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. All would experience the salvation that God offers through faith in his son who came and died, rose again, ascended into heaven, is now interceding, praying for you, for me. Acts 4, 12 says, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Paul writes into the pastor in the church in Ephesus, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus does not simply teach the way or point the way. He is the way. Can we say that together? He is the way. Can we say that one more time? He is the way. When Jesus said, I am the way, he wipes away any other proposed way to heaven. Good works, religious ceremonies can't get you to heaven. In closing, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way. Without Jesus, there is no going. Did you hear that, church? Jesus says, I am the way. Without Jesus, there's no going to the Father's house. There's no going to heaven. And Jesus told his disciples, I am the truth. Without Jesus, there is no knowing the Father who is in heaven. And Jesus told his disciples, I am the life. Without Jesus, there is no living. 
just death. Eternal separation from the Father's house, from the presence of God in a place of everlasting torment. A place the Bible calls hell. We don't hear much about today. Church, friends, those visiting today, make sure you know you're going to heaven. Trust in Jesus' finished work, the cross of Calvary. He hung there for you. He hung there for me to prepare the way to go to the Father's house. There's no other way to the Father's house, to heaven, except through faith in Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming. Do you trust him? Have you trust him? I encourage you, if you're unsure, you don't have to leave today being unsure. You can have the assurance, the assurance from heaven by receiving God's grace and God's gift of forgiveness through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Your Savior, my Savior, the Savior of the whole world. And maybe you're here today and you have a troubled heart. Yes, you have a troubled life, but your heart is troubled. How many are here today? Pastor, my heart is troubled. Well, number one, your heart is troubled if it hasn't been redeemed by Jesus. Your heart is spiritually troubled. God wants you to know his peace that surpasses all human understanding. He wants you to know the peace of God that comes when you, by faith, receive God's grace and the gift of forgiveness of eternal life that he offers through trust and faith in Jesus. You'll have an inner peace. Your heart will become untroubled in a spiritual sense. But are you here today and your, your, your heart is, 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 is troubled? Yes, your, your life is troubled. Yes, you're living in a troubled world. But are your, is your heart troubled trust trust in the all knowing trust in the all powerful trust in the ever present God who loves you who came to you in the sending of his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him shall not perish but have everlasting life. As you walk through history of humanity, God has shouted to us, I want to know you and I want you to know me. I want to walk with you and I want you to walk with me. I want you to experience my presence. I want you to behold me face to face. We see this throughout the record of human history as we look at God's word, the scripture, both old and new. He's provided a way for us in Jesus. How many here today have a troubled heart? Isaiah 26, 3 says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. 
The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in you. When our focus is here, this place that's not home, we, are, we have a troubled heart. We have no peace. And we just don't enjoy anything. Oh, maybe we have little moments, but that's all it is, is a moment. That's the result of just setting your heart here. This is not our home. 66 Parkside Lane, honey, is not our home. Kaylin, that's not where our home is. I'm talking to my wife and daughter for those who are visiting. My father's house. Yes, Jesus said, my father's house. That's my home, honey. That's our home. That's all of our home. Would you stand? I hope you've been built up and encouraged today. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for his word?